Welcome to another episode of This is the Author in Conversation, a more intimate behind-the-mic chat with our authors in the audiobook studio. Today, you'll meet beloved, award-winning author George Saunders and senior executive producer at Penguin Random House Audio, Kelly Gilday, who also produced and directed George's many audiobook productions. Recording an audiobook can be a singular creative experience for an author, and equally so for their listeners and fans. What's perhaps even more unique is when writers have the opportunity to narrate multiple titles from their own backlist, books that have been previously published that are coming afresh to audio. Listen in as George and Kelly discuss their longtime collaborations, the difference between a really good director and the alternative, and the temptations to edit one's own work from the audiobook studio, and of course, the epic recording that was Lincoln in the Bardo. Plus, hear how George has integrated his own original music in ways even he didn't expect. Enjoy. We are here in the studio with author and narrator George Saunders, who's just read the last book of his backlist, The Brain Dead Megaphone. And we're just here to talk about audiobooks. And George, what's it been like to go back and revisit these texts, especially as the narrator now? It's been really interesting and kind of kind of strange. You know, you, you read something and at certain points you go, oh yeah, that's pretty good. I'll stand behind that. And other things you're like, what the hell? Who, who wrote this? <laughs> so it's been kind of cool. You know, I'm working on something new and to read old stuff and kind of go, okay, actually this swath of text I still believe in, I'll bring that belief to the new work. And other stuff where, like, I feel myself showing off a bit or doing certain things on the page I don't do anymore, those kind of go a little cold. So it's kind of an awesome exercise just in figuring out where you might want to go next. Hmm. Yeah. Did you have a favorite essay or book or piece that we recorded that you, you know, hadn't thought about in a while? Well, I think it's interesting because some of them really come alive, again, for you mm-hmm. as a writer. And so when we did Sea Oak, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I like the ones where I get to actually perform a voice and not just sort of read methodically. And then in this book, that Mexico essay, I think really still spoke to me and I could still hear certain passages. Certain passages are still alive in your mind. So when you go to read them, you just are kind of saying them. And other things that maybe are kind of like a side road that you've abandoned those feel a little more like just reading, you know, someone else's work. You know? Are you constantly thinking as you're going through that you want to revise, but you're holding? You know that I <laughs> am because I, yeah, because I sometimes try it. You know, yeah. there there are definitely you know I, what I found is you finish a story, and for a while, like maybe for two weeks before you finish it, and a week after, you'd stand by every comma. You know, you almost have it memorized. And then the further you get from it, the more you're like, huh, well, that's interesting. Why did he do that? And so I did have that feeling in everything so far that we've done, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like the farther away you get from it, the more you can see the kind of ghost passages that you could have gone down, but you chose not to. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering, like, in your job, when you're having a great day, when you're really on it, what are you doing as opposed to days when it's not as good? I'll speak as a director. I feel like when I'm very connected to the work, and I've not had that problem with you because I love your work and you. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. It's harder when you can't find the words to communicate, when it's really hard to reach the narrator, Mm -hmm. and maybe something isn't clicking into place in their reading, but you're having a very hard time finding a way 
to point them there. And that must be kind of a different process if you've got the writer on the other side of the glass as opposed to just an actor who's interpreting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when we work together, it's very collaborative and you are really open to playing and trying new things. And sometimes it's really hard when you're working with an author to kind of tell them this is how you should read <laughs> your, the sentence that you wrote. Right. And that's a lot of times why I end up directing actors more often than writers. But I feel like with you, I have a real performer who's yeah. open to and, collaboration. And we go back so far. I think the first yeah. book we did together was 10th of December, which I th it think was. was the first time I'd ever recorded anything. And I remember that as such a magical few days in New York. Yeah. And I, you know, working with you has just given me steadily more confidence that if I you know, if I want to try something goofy, we can try it. Or if I'm having a, a bad patch, we'll get through it. So I really appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, I really love listening to you as a narrator and you're a good narrator. And I remember when you told me you could not read all of Lincoln and the Bardo, your novel from 2017. And I thought, what do you mean? You have always read your books. Yeah. Why wouldn't you read this? And then... I looked at the text, and then we really decided this would be impossible for any one person to yeah. I think I feel like we had just, around that time, I had, maybe it was 10th of December, but I feel like we had just done one project. And, you know, as an author, when you're home and you're like, yeah, I'm going to record my audiobook, you feel very groovy, you know. And then you get in here, and suddenly you forget how to read English, and you hear your actual voice. And it, sometimes it feels like you're crawling up a mountainside. And I looked at that Lincoln text, you know, which is like 400 pages of, faux 19th century diction. I'm like, I, can't, I could do it, but it's going to sound like, you know, the same person over and over. So we had that great conversation where I think I said, well, do you think we could, you know, maybe get a couple narrators? You said, let me see what we can do about it. And then you came back, it seemed to me a few days later with a... I had an Excel sheet. I an Excel, I yeah. Did, I, I reread the book Counting the Voices. Right. Uh, and every time someone new was added... I was like, oh, God, George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was 166, as I remember. 166 yeah. individual then, speaking parts in that book. Somehow yeah. you went off and gathered them, which was amazing. And, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. funny now because I, I look at that book and I think, that must have taken eight years to record that. What was the total? It was about six months of yeah. recording. I mean, luckily we had the book earlier than we sometimes do. And it took a lot of planning and yeah. scheduling, but recording it was a blast. <laughs> and am I right that there was never, like it wasn't the case that there were ever two actors at two microphones at the same time? Always. Never. Yeah. No, everyone recorded separately. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for that. That was, oh, that was Thank you. That was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about, which is new, we had Jeff Tweedy do the music for Lincoln and the Bardo. Mm -hmm. For the last six pieces of yours, your older books, you've been writing and recording original music. And what has that been like? Oh, it's been just a blast. And thank you for letting me do it. The most fun thing was this. When I first started writing and I had kind of my breakthrough to start getting published, I experienced this thing which was kind of like an abandonment of control. Like before Civil War Island, I'd been writing with a lot of control, a lot of intentionality. I kind of knew what I wanted the work to do. I had a big plan. And then when I was writing that book, I finally figured out how to leave that behind and just kind of almost like guide myself spontaneously line by line by steering toward the fun. That's kind of how I did it. You know, you do that and actually you are telling a story and there are themes and all that. But that was a big breakthrough in writing. And the funny thing was with the music, especially the ones we did in the studio in Santa Cruz where we spent quite a bit of production time, was that that exact same process got enacted where 
when I'm playing music at home, it's always very kind of tidy, and I'm totally in control of it, and it, it has a real kind of 70s, dead-in-the-water mm-hmm. feeling. But then when I went in the studio with Peter Coleman, and we just started messing around, something about the pressure of time and his kind of virtuosity as a producer, I started just effing around, basically. And suddenly, this thing started to be made, and you were just responding to that very, very fluidly, you know, with no ideas of meaning or anything. And then you'd look up, and there'd be this really complex kind of funny mess, which is how I would describe most of my fiction. You know, I don't really, (laughs) it's not orderly, it's kind of over the top, it's excessive. So it was really interesting to see that, I guess you'd say at heart, I'm the same artist in two different modes. And in both cases, I have to get out of my controlling mindset to do anything that has any energy, you know, so that was kind of fun. I mean, it's funny because after we stop talking in this interview we're doing, you have your guitar here, and you're going to play some music for the Brain Dead Megaphone. Do you have a plan, or not really? I have no? a little. Okay. I have a little riff, and we'll see. Okay. We'll see. I think this I is... might actually call out the names of each story, and maybe you can <laughs> think just, about yeah, the I'll story. Just, and yeah, I mean, the nice thing about the studio in Santa Cruz is that there, it's you know, I went in with a a cello and just did a little rhythmic riff, and Peter fragmented it up into these incredibly beautiful beats and stuff. So there, you know, you're it's like a real collaboration where you're you're kicking in a little something and then he's taking it, transforming it, and then you're both reacting to that. So that gets a little more off the hook. But mm-hmm. it's nice, you know, I think at this point in my artistic life, you know, you're always trying to find one more rock to look under. And somehow the music has really helped me to kind of I guess remember that at its essence, any artistic moment has got to be based in joy. Joy and discovery are the same thing. And if, as can happen with an older artist, you know, you start to go back to the same tricks, that's the death knell, you know. So the music has been a way of reminding me that the best parts of your artistic self are hidden. You don't really know what they are until you stumble on them, you know. So it's a good thing to try to enact that as much as possible, I guess. Which is why I'm going to start dancing. (laughs) Starting a dance We're going to record that, Yeah, well, please, yeah, yeah, record (laughs) record away. Just don't film it. Since we're talking about recording, how is recording different from writing? I mean, to me, it's similar in that, like when I come in here, we'll have had some months of separation. We haven't done it. So I'm nervous again, and I'm trying to do it correctly, you know, and I'm trying to not make mistakes, which means you make mistakes. And then what happened this time was about halfway through, we had a couple of funny pieces where I felt like, okay, you can't properly do this. It's too ridiculous. So then... You know, you loosen up into a place where you're leaping instead of stepping. And that's the same as in writing. You know, I'll write an essay. I'm writing some now. And the first three or four drafts are very proper. Nobody could fault them, you know, which means they're terrible. And then when you get to the place where you start taking leaps, that's when it really either does or doesn't contain your essential self. You know, so that's one thing that's similar. The difference, of course, is just that I'm not really a performer. The people that you got in here for Lincoln, you know, they're voice professionals and movie and TV actors, and those people, you can just hear, they have a relation to their own performance that's just insane. You know, I mean, I I don't have that kind of nuance, but certainly it makes me respect that a lot more when you try to do it yourself a little bit. Well, I think your fans love listening to you read, and it has been like one of the greatest joys of my life and career to work with you, and I cannot wait for you to write another oh, book. For me too. You know, one of the things that I've loved about working with you is that, you know, it's interesting. I teach and I do a lot of readings and traveling and stuff. And what you notice is you start to become alert for brilliance wherever you find it, you know. So 
when we first worked together, there was just something about your way of being in the studio that really relaxed me and made me feel kind of bold. And it's been so much fun to do. We've done about nine books together, I think. Yeah, and it's been really, again, for me, a real blessing to know that every time I get in your presence, I'm going to get a little bit bold and this part of myself is going to, so I really appreciate it. Have you seen any changes over the years as we're working together? Am I getting better or worse? I think you described it well, like you are always a little nervous as you start. And it is often the sillier pieces where we're cracking up and then there's this ease about it. But you don't really hear it in your performance. I just see it in It's really fun. When our kids were little, if they were going to something at school that was challenging, I'd always kind of jokingly say, joy, not fear. But that's really true. (laughs) You know, if you have trepidation, any artistic thing... The best you can do is you come up to the bar of competence. And you can know that and still not be able to enact it. You know, So for me, mm-hmm. the trick is to say, okay, I know that in any artistic venture, I have to, at some point, really, really take a risk. What I've noticed is when I first met you, I would take the risk and feel embarrassed. <laughs> and now I can see you looking like, yeah, that's what we were waiting for. <laughs> so that's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Yeah. This, I think, is the first, the Brain Dead Megaphone, I believe, is the first collection of some of it is nonfiction yeah, that yeah. we've done together. I think we've only done fiction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I recorded really... you reading, like, your author's note for Civil War Land, things that have been in your purely George Saunders voice, yeah. like the voice of you. So it was interesting because, in a way, I feel like sometimes it is easier for you to do fiction. Yeah, this book know? was kind of a, I think, about a six-year net that collected all these different pieces of nonfiction. So some of it I was really spending months on, and other stuff were just humor pieces that I was kind of dashing off. So it was interesting for me, a little bit humbling, like people always say is humbling, but I mean it's like humiliating, to read stuff and go, oh, I don't know, oh, that's funny. That part of me doesn't exist anymore. I've kind of moved beyond that part. Or sometimes to say, wow, I don't know if I could still do that. I've left here the last couple of days feeling a little bit kind of quiet and stunned and like, huh, I got to process this a little bit, you know, because you think, you know, at the time you write something, it feels like you're etching it into stone and you're finally doing something really great. You know, you feel that for a short time afterwards. And then this is, I think, what, 2007 or eight or something. It's it was ten, published it's in 2007, yeah. And it's interesting to come back and see that it's actually, you know, it's various. It's kind of wobbly in places and stronger in others. I guess it's like a little bit of an impermanence thing, you know, to say, well, yes, I thought this was scripture when I wrote it. You know, <laughs> I mm-hmm. couldn't have imagined a better way to write it. And I worked at it really hard and I revised like a crazy person. And then this much down the line, it's just somebody talking. Well, it has been a pleasure to work oh, with you, George. Oh, no way we're going to I think listeners are going to be so happy to revisit your books. I hope so. And now, listen to a clip from the audiobook. It's one thing to be a small country, but the country of Inner Horner was so small, only one Inner Hornerite at a time could fit inside. And the other six Inner Hornerites had to wait their turn to live in their own country while standing very timidly in the surrounding country of Outer Horner. Whenever the Outer Hornerites looked at the hangdog Inner Hornerites crammed into the short-term residency zone, they felt a little sick, and also very patriotic. Inner Hornerites were pathetic and whiny and grasping, unlike them, the Outer Hornerites, who for many years had been demonstrating their tremendous generosity by allowing the Inner Hornerites to overflow into the short-term residency zone. Not that the Inner Hornerites appreciated it. 
No, they never wept with gratitude anymore. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.